Open your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter number 8. The book of Acts, chapter number 8. Worthy is the Lamb, and there is no other worthy. Except the Lamb makes us worthy. And I'm grateful for that. Amen. I'm like the old boy who went into the barber shop and said, can you make this head of hair look good? He said, son, this is a comb, not a magic wand. <laughs> and <laughs> that's the way I was, wasn't you? Man, we didn't have much to offer, and Jesus had it all. We thank him for that. And... Um, we're back in the book of Acts. Last week, we talked to you about Stephen being stoned. Stephen was one of the deacons. In fact, Stephen and Philip, the only two deacons whose named are what we believe were the deacons, they're the only two that's named in the Bible. So we know three things about them. They were full of wisdom, and they were full of faith, and they were full of the Holy Ghost. We know those three things about Philip. We know those three things about Stephen. And so when we look at the text last week, we saw Stephen. I didn't get to the point to where I answered this question, but many of you and myself had stood around many bedsides to where people was comatose, where they were totally unconscious, where they had no movement to where they responded at, not at all, sometimes for days. And we had to sit and watch our loved ones or our friends go through that type of situation, maybe church members. And I remember when my mother died, as I said last week, that I believe God said to me, son, it's all right, she's with me. And I take that, I believe that based on this passage right here. Verse 59 of chapter 7 says, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God. He was crying out to God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, I don't know how many more stones hit him. I don't know how long they piled stones upon him. I don't know how many folks tossed rocks upon this, this deacon's head. But the scripture said that he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he'd said this, he fell asleep. He was still alive while they were pounding him with rocks. And yet he said, God Forgive this bunch who's beating me to death. Don't put this sin to their charge. Now, folks, let me tell you something. Anything that is strong enough to keep a stoning from hurting must be good. He got to see heaven, and heaven made him forget all about the stones. And I believe sometimes our loved ones are laying there in that shell that God gave them, but they've already moved out. They're not there. They're sticking, they're sticking needles in them and tubes in them, and they're doing all kinds of things, but they're not there because what they have seen outweighs everything that's happening down here. And so I didn't say much about that last week, 
But I just want you to see that I believe that many times when folks are going through a long time of what we think are suffering when they're absolutely unconscious and have no sense of response to us, that they may be already with Jesus. Already with Jesus. And it's just the carcass that's there. Because as soon as you take everything off, they're gone. They're gone. And I think they were gone already. Well, that's just my opinion. You can have yours. You've been wrong many times before. (laughs) Notice chapter 8. That's where we'll start today. Saul is being, we're introduced to a man named Saul today, a religionist, one that would be called a mighty, legal, fundamental Jew. He was a Pharisee above Pharisees. And the scripture says that he was consenting unto his death. In other words, when Stephen was being stoned, Paul was right there saying, hit him, boys. Keep hitting him, boys. Keep killing him, boys. Keep stoning him, boys. He was consenting to his death. And the Bible said at their time, There was a great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Most of the real believers had left Jerusalem and moved out into the Judean hills, which goes from uh, Jerusalem out north toward Caesarea, and others had went into Samaria, which is about halfway along the Judean hillside there. And there were little towns and villages along the way. And the apostles stayed in town. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. It's okay to cry when someone dies. God help the person who says, that you shouldn't weep over one who's going to heaven. Jesus did. Jesus did. He did it, I think we can. So notice the Bible said, great lamentation. They were weeping and wailing, mourning for their brother. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, He was going door to door, but not to win people, to kill people. And hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. Did you hear what it said? They were scattered abroad and they went everywhere preaching the word. That's what it said. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, do you believe in demons? We've had some people here demon-possessed. 
not long ago. They're not here now, but we had a lady in our church, I'm convinced, was demon-possessed. And the Bible says, unclean spirits cried with a loud voice. A lot of times your loudest gossipers are people full of the devil. And they came out of many. Look, not some, many. Came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies. That means they were paralyzed and they were lame, were healed. And there, listen to this, and there was great joy in the city. So today I want to talk to you on the subject of saints' sorrow becomes sinners' joy. Saints' sorrow becomes the sinner's joy. Let's bow our head and ask God just to help us with this text a little bit today. Father, I realize that we're ignorant of so many things, and when we get to heaven, I'm sure you're going to show us how we miss things that was right under our nose things that you were trying to show us and we just refused to see. But God, may we open our ears right now and may we make ourselves available for the Holy Ghost to say to our hearts what he wants to say. And God, for that person right now who's about to get saved, they're right on the edge, they're leaning. You've convicted them, you've touched them. I pray today they may surrender to the Spirit of God and give their heart to Jesus Christ. And then for those Christians hadn't been living for God, they know it. Nothing about them would cause anybody to want to be a Christian. And I pray today they'll come and surrender their life to live for Jesus. Now let us preach with power, for it's in Jesus' name, amen. I believe when we see scenes like this in the Bible that that's what people in our cities and in our towns and in our schools and in our stores need to see. You see, the people came to church and when they come to church, they ought to be impressed by the grace that strengthens us. I'm going to have to say that again because you didn't get it. People that come to church, when they look at God's people, they ought to be impressed by the grace that strengthens us. We ought not to be called crazies. We ought to be called grazies. Amen? Just grazies. We've had the grace of God and tasted of the grace of God. God. Folks, listen, you say, well, no, 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 this is a different day, preacher. We've got to change the way we do church. Why? They do that everywhere else. Folks, you don't have to do church to do what we're doing in churches today. Why not just go to a bar? Why not just go to some other social club? Why not go somewhere else? No, they are looking for something not to make them comfortable, but for something that could change their life. And so here, when they saw Stephen dying like this, 
after they were pounding his head with rocks and they heard him with such forgiveness and for such love in his heart that he prayed for those people that were pounding the life out of him. Folks, I'm going to tell you, that'll touch your life. And it did. It touched his heart. Jesus even said before he left to his disciples in John chapter number 16, you remember what he, what, he, what he said in verse number 20? If you want to write it down, you can go to it. Verily I send you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. You'll weep. You're going to have sorrow. They'll beat, you. They'll beat you with stones. They'll whip you with whips. They'll nail you to crosses. But look what he said. Then you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be sorrowful. But your sorrow shall be turned into joy. And you know how it likens that? Look, a woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow. She's giving birth. She has sorrow. They didn't have them drips back then, you know. And she's having sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I'll see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. What he's saying, as the church sees its sorrows, as the church sees its grief, as the church sees its burdens, the world watches how we handle them. They watch how we live through them. They watch how that we trust God through them and it touches their heart. And some old boy or some old girl who's living like the devil said, I want something to help me get through life like that. And they ought to come to church to see the grace which strengthens us, not the sorrow which puts us down. And so this is what happens here. They're seeing the grace that strengthened them. That's look, Stephen Ben Stone. This is the beginning of an intense effort to stomp out Christianity by the unbelieving Jews with Roman support. And you say, why would Romans support the Jews to kill off the Christians? Here's why. Because the Romans did not want any trouble. They, they had placed uh, Pilatos or uh, Herodos uh, over certain areas, and those guys were supposed to keep the peace. Well, if they didn't keep the peace, they were in trouble with their head bosses, okay? It got back to Rome, and they said, man, Pilate's not doing a good job, and Herod's not doing a good job, and this one's not doing a good job, and we need to straighten this thing out. So what they're saying is, hey, we'll just let them take care of that Christian bunch, and everything will be all right. We'll just keep the Jews pacified and let them take care of the Christians. And so that's what happens here. They just turn their head to a bunch of believers and let the Jews kill them. So the first thing I want you to notice is the persecution. Verses 1 through 3. Now, persecution did not mean family trouble. Persecution did not necessarily mean cancer. Persecution did not mean you got laid off from your job. 
persecution did not mean the problems of normal daily life. But this man, there was a pursuit. He was pursuant of afflictions and pressure on anyone who claimed Christ with the intent of causing not only his death, but his discouragement and his departure. In other words, this was not just suffering because you had a body. This was suffering because you had a Christ. Y'all getting this? So don't go saying, well, you know, man, these, oh, I, I've had this toast been giving me trouble about two years now. Uh, I guess I'm suffering for Jesus. No, you're not. You got a bad toe. <laughs> Just get your needle and stick it in there and job it and let all that mess out and it'll be fine. Uh, you see, we want to try to blame everything that's wrong with us on suffering for Jesus. Yes, we may have to carry a cross. Yes, we may have to bear some burden. Yes, we may be sick in life. Yes, we may have to go through some things other people don't have to go through. But that's not our worry. Our worry is that whatever we go through, they see Christ help us do it. And so they were persecuted. Look, he, look how merciless he was. Saul was the chief leader of the persecution. Look, look, first thing he does is scatter them. They were forced to leave their roots, their homes, their friends, their jobs, their families. They had to be scattered. There was not one bit of mercy in this man called Saul. They were all scattered except the apostles. But not only was was there scattering, but there was suffering. Look in verse number three. He uses the word havoc. Havoc. That word havoc, if we were using it, here's what we would say. They treated us like dirt. That's the word havoc. Treat you like dirt. That's what the word havoc would mean here. So they were pursued like a wild beast chasing a small animal with such a raging fury with no mercy on men or women. None. In fact, Acts 22.4 even talks about their death and talked about them being hogtied and imprisoned. Acts 22:19 talks about them being beaten physically. Acts chapter 26 uh, down through verse number 11, he continually is, is in breaking up every meeting he hears about. Every time he hears about a church getting together, every time he hears about a bunch of Christians getting together, he is obsessed. He's obsessed with killing them. He's obsessed with ridding them, and he thinks he's doing it for God. He's obsessed with it. He cannot get away from the fact that he wants to kill, and his aim was, according to Galatians 1.13, his aim was total destruction of their faith. So they burst into their meetings and found them in their homes and they caught them and they chased them and they chained them and they charred them in their execution. There may be a day coming when we have to face merciless pressure. Are you ready? 
I'm not kidding today. I'm not kidding today. You say, well, you know, Brother Glenn, you're kind of, you know, people say you're crazy. They've been saying that for 28 years. You know what? I think they're crazy. That makes it even, don't it? They think I'm crazy. I think they're crazy. I think some of you are crazy. And you think I'm crazy. Don't go around talking about how crazy everybody is because we're all a bunch of nuts. All right? We're just screwed on the right boat. Amen? The truth of the matter is, is it, it, I heard about this fellow. He went to a mental um, institution, a care facility for mental patients, and he asked the director, how do you determine whether or not a patient should be institutionalized? He said, well, we fill up a bathtub, we offer them a teaspoon, a teacup, and a bucket, and ask him to empty the bathtub. Oh, he said, I see that. He said um, a normal person would use the bucket because it's bigger than the spoon and the teacup. He said, no, a normal person would pull the plug, which when... <laughs> Which, do, which room do you want? <laughs> Some of us ain't as crazy as we look, amen? Uh, listen, folks, the world needs to see us going through some of these things we go through with a uh, not necessarily happy about the fact that we have to suffer, not necessarily thrilled about the fact we have to suffer, but rejoicing inside that God is pleased with the fact that he helped us suffer in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. Not because we enjoy it, but because he likes it. And when we scatter it, when they were all scattered, what happens when you scatter if you take if you take a fire pit and you take a and, and, and you take you a big corn scoop and you hit that fire pit with some what happened? Fire stuff, fire fire sparks goes everywhere. And that's what happened to the church. They put them in the fires of persecution and they hit them with everything they had. And when they did, they just scattered Christianity all over the world. That's what missions is. What missions is. We never have gotten it right. 2,000 years we haven't gotten it right. Missions is, is when we go to one place and we're chased out or we suffer and we hurt and then we go to another place and there they receive the gospel and we were chased out and hurt and we go to another place and then they go to another place. Next thing you know, the gospel has been around the world. You see, folks, I, you, you say, well, Jesus can't come. Uh, uh, Jesus can't come to everybody's heard the gospel. I believe everybody has heard the gospel. May not have been in our day, but they've heard it. They've heard it. I mean, listen, when you can drive down the streets of Africa and see a Maasai warrior with a cell phone, I'm, not, I'm talking about a Maasai warrior with a big old hole in his ear, white paint all over him, all messed up, all goofed up, and there he is there advertising Afrozizen or whatever kind of phone they got. Folks, I'm telling you, 
The gospel has been around the world because we've been scattered by persecution. The church has had its best days when we've had its worst problems. I don't like them. They're not fun. People say, well, Brother Glenn, you, they ask me, did you leave because of this? Or are you going to leave because of that? You're going to leave? I tell them, leave them for one reason. You get this straight and you go tell everybody else. There's not one of you in here I'm leaving for. You say, well, they give you a lot of trouble. I don't care if they give me trouble. I'm not leaving for you. There's not one person I'm leaving for. I'm not totally leaving just for my health. Even though I think you deserve better than what I can give, I'm leaving because I believe that God has said it's time to leave. I'm not leaving because people left here. And you can go tell them I said it. They don't intimidate me. God's got a whole world of lost people. We don't have to depend on a few folks who walk out the door. God's got people everywhere that needs Jesus. And when we're under a little pressure, it ought not to make us quit. It ought to spur us to go on. And so I don't intend to walk away from doing anything that God wants us to do. But sometimes we walk away from a particular place to go to another place or to do another job or to have another calling or whatever it might be. So there is quickly coming a time when if we're not uh, real careful and you're not really hooked up with Jesus Christ, the cost is going to be awful great as you have to suffer for the name of Christ. Do you have it? Let me ask you. Do you have it in you? Do you have it in you? And when the time comes that you have to suffer for the cause of Christ, that your roots run deep enough in Jesus that you can stand. That's what impressed these people. Stephen, Paul was convicted that day. He couldn't get that out of his head. He couldn't get that out of his mind. Wow, that blood... And wow, maybe his brains. And wow, you could see all the insides of his head coming out the sides. And he watched that ugly, nasty scene. He couldn't get it out of his mind. And before long, he bows and gives his heart to Jesus Christ. He did it because somebody suffered. You know why we're going to heaven? Because somebody suffered. His name was Jesus. He suffered for us. And it's because of his suffering that one of these days we get to enjoy everything that God has for us. Now look, not only was he uh, merciless, but he would look at the morning in verse number two. Only devoted people came forward for Stephen's funeral. You know, now I, I understand that in certain places, I don't think it ha- happens here in Lebanon, but, but uh, law enforcement go to funerals to see who goes to the funeral of somebody who got killed in a drug deal or, or, or something like that. They go to see who goes to the funeral because they can go, and I hope I ain't giving nothing away here, but they go. <laughs> it's too late now. I saw it on Blue Bloods. I know it's true. 
<laughs> Tom Selleck said it. I know it's true. <laughs> he's 112 and make him look like he's 45. <laughs> Folks, listen, they go. They go because they want to know what was going on around those people because what was going on around those people was worth noticing. And when these devout people come to carry Stephen to the grave, they did so because they saw a man suffer for Jesus Christ. Mm, isn't that gracious? that wonderful? Now look at the man. First of all, he was a man of guilt. Verse 1, he's consenting. In other words, he's giving, he has bloody hands. He's giving his permission for them to do what they're doing. Stephen's death had done something to Saul. Bloody crimes create bloody guilt. Consenting crimes, taking life is serious to God. Can I tell you a doctor who kills babies in the womb is just as, just as guilty as a gang member shooting somebody on a street corner. They're consenting to it. Consenting to it. Proverbs 1.10 says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Hebrews, uh, Hosea 6, 9 says, And of the troops of the robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent. Folks, don't let any of us do the crimes of our world because someone else is causing us to consent. Bloody crimes has made us a guilty nation in America. You just open your Bible and turn it to the book of Ezekiel sometime. Write these down. I'm not going there. Ezekiel 7, verse 23 and 25. Ezekiel 22, verse 6 through 12. The shedding of blood goes with immorality. Notice that. The shedding of blood will always go with immorality. And immorality steals the value of family life. And family life poses danger to human life. That's why their suicides is so rapidly growing today because family life is gone. Personal life has no value. And immorality is accepted. Child abuse, divorce and abortion and murder. Why is there a feminist rage today? Because we've let our morals Drop to the bottom. Look at his grace. We see his guilt. Look at his grace. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12, Paul's talking about his life. Oh, he's talking about his life. He's excited about what God has done for him. Have you ever noticed in the book of Acts, and you'll see it if you'll go ahead and study it. I, I won't get to finish it all up for you unless when we get to heaven, God let me sit on the corner, but I think he's a better teacher than I am. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he talks about things that God had allowed him to do, but every time in the book of Acts, they back Paul in the corner. You know what he does? Gives his testimony. Yeah, you back him in a corner, he'll tell you about Jesus. Yeah, back him in a corner. Now what's he going to do? I'm going to tell you about Jesus. 
back Stephen in the corner. What's he going to do? Tell you about Jesus. Well, what if we stone you for it? I'm going to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> but in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, look what he said. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. You don't have to be ashamed when people beat you up, put you down. No, as long as it's for Christ. For I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me of whom are for Gallus and Hermogenes. People said, y'all not to call names. Paul did. And they were in the church. The Lord give mercy to the house of Omesopus, for he oft refreshed me. He said, I get beat up most places I go, but when I go here, Onesiphorus, he brings me into his house, and he refreshes me. Mm. And then he said in 1 Corinthians 15, I am what I am by the grace of God. You are what you are by the grace of God. We are what we are by the grace of God. Grace to overcome such awful deeds. Grace to become those who was once hated, but we overcome the guilt because of the grace. That kind of grace can get a hold of anybody. You say, you don't know my problems. I don't care. That kind of grace can get a hold of your problems. You say, you don't know my sin. I don't care. That kind of grace can get a hold of your sin. You say, you don't know the mess I'm in. I don't care. That kind of grace can get a hold of your mess. Turn you around. The once, the one who once mauled others will now face the same treatment in hundreds of ways. The one who stood and said, I'm going to kill every Christian I can, later on stood under the stones of others who tried to kill him in every way they could. And I, this ain't in my sermon, but I'm going to tell you about it. If you read Acts 14, they, Paul's going to Derby, I believe it is. They stoned Paul and left him for dead. Now, folks, most people know whether a person's dead or not. Especially if somebody's just beat you in the head with a rock. You think they're going to stop till they think you're dead? They thought he was dead. I think he did that. Because I think that's why the Scriptures will tell us that he got caught up into paradise, into the third heaven, and he saw things he couldn't even talk about. And you know who I believe was standing there that day? A little old boy by the name of Timothy, whose daddy was a Greek, which means he wasn't saved, didn't have any use for God, but his mama loved the Lord, and his mama and his grandmother had taught him about Jesus from the time he was born. And that boy sat there and watched that little old man, Paul, get the daylights beat out of him. And later on, when he came to his town, he said, I'll go with you. He knew what he was in for. But he was ready to go for Jesus. Are you ready to go for Jesus? 
None of us knows what we might face. None of us just don't know. But according to verse 6 through 8, the third thing is, if we'll do what God says do, there'll be power. Miracles starts to happen. See, the message of Jesus, when it's pushed through a warm heart, when it's shown through character that is not intimidated, it comes through preaching that won't back down. Wherever the Christ of this book is preached, there's power. Power over demons that invade us in verse 7. Power over diseases that infect us, verse 7. Power over disabilities that invalid us, verse 7. And power over dejection that inflicts us, verse 8. Where Jesus is preached and heeded, there is joy in the city. I guarantee you this, you'll get more joy out of Jesus than you will going to the hospital. Yes, sir. Coming to Jesus is much better than a bedpan. Amen. I'm telling you it is. And if you don't know Jesus Christ today, maybe somebody you've been watching, somebody you've been looking at, you know what they've been through. You say, I don't know how they did that. I'll tell you how they did that, through the grace that strengthened them. And maybe you need to come to this altar and say, you know, I've been saved, but there's nothing in my life that would show anybody else that I've been saved. And I want to, Commit my life solely, totally, completely to Jesus Christ. And whatever and wherever God leads, I'll go.